Hey there everybody, this is Johnny here, and I'm by me lonesome because Sai has not seen this movie and probably won't for the uh, foreseeable future, but I wanted to get my thoughts out there, so uh, here we go, let's have an episode! What's our seat number? Bonus. Hello and welcome to What's Our Seat... Yep, that's what it is, because there's only one of us here today, so it's only half there. Across the devil's plane He did not die in vain, no! I'm Johnny Gross, I'm a filmmaker, and uh, one half of the What's Our Seat number duo. Today I'm going to talk about The Flash, because yesterday I went and had a uh, cheeky afternoon off work. And I, uh, I went by myself to the cinema to see... The Flash. Now get this, he reads comic books. Comic books, Barry Allen is The Flash. Was it worth it? Well, we're about to find out. So you're saying you could travel back in time? The Bruce, I can fix things. I can save people. I can save my mom. I can save your parents. You can also destroy everything. This is mad trippy. Dude, this is catastrophic. This world must die. I'm not gonna lose there again. It's not Clark. My name is Kara. I will help you. Interesting group. Want some help? Wait, he's Batman? You want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. Oh, this rips! So a little bit of background about this. I'm not a huge Flash fan. Um, I don't remember reading any dedicated Flash comics. He always sort of turned up in uh, in Superman comics that uh, that I used to read, or Justice League, or whatever it was. Um, so I, I was never a, a real fan of the character as as a sort of a standalone thing. Um, so obviously, I came here for Michael Keaton, and um, well, does that disappoint, or is it everything I thought it was going to be? A little bit of both, kind of what I expected from the trailers, but uh, but kind of disappointing. The reason is because um, Batman is a is a dark character, and this is the problem with any um, this is the problem with any team up that uh, seems to happen with the Justice League is that anytime you bring Batman in, he's either got to conform to the tone of the rest of these characters, which is usually a little bit lighter or they have to conform to the darker tone of Batman. So you get something like Batman v Superman, which uh, which goes from the slightly lighter tone of Man of Steel. Man of Steel was still pretty dark, <laughs> but it gets even darker by Batman and Superman. Uh, or you get Justice League, uh, or Justice League, um, where Batman has to be sort of lighthearted and jokey because everything else in the movie is, uh, is like that. Um, especially with the inclusion of Ezra Miller's Flash, who is very much originally a Zack Snyder creation, but I think Joss Whedon kind of leaned into the sort of jokey, geeky side of this character. And in this case, you've got a very specific Batman, which is, is Tim Burton's Batman, and that version of Batman is quite dark, very comic booky, 
um, kind of uh, Grand Guignol a little bit, um, very gothic, but very dark. Um, and then you've got Ezra Miller's Flash and everything that's going on in this movie, which is still trying to be kind of Marvel-esque, um, and it just is at odds. I would have liked to have, and, and I know a lot of people have said this, but I would have liked to have had a standalone Batman movie with Michael Keaton if they could have gotten it together in the in the mid-2000s, for example. That would have been great. But there were there were times in this one I thought that uh, the poor old 70-something Michael Keaton was going to keel over and die from the heat in that suit and the, uh, and the intensity of what was going on on the screen. So I, I would have preferred maybe a standalone movie if there were going to make it now it would probably be old man batman it would probably be batman beyond um or something to that uh, to that tone so let's get right into it so first of all the first thing i noticed uh is that the um the opening sequence is it's a lot of fun it's very exciting um but there's a lot of janky cgi which kind of took me out of it at the beginning and then the, of course there's flash's funny run um <laughs> It just reminds me of a certain scene in Mickey Blue Eyes. <laughs> just stop. <laughs> just stop, otherwise I can't go on. Just run normally. I am running normally. Oh, all right, I'm sorry. I, I thought, I thought you know, I, well, I guess I haven't seen you run before and I thought you were doing a funny run. Funny run? That's my run. The opening sequence is kind of, uh, there's a sort of uh, cross-cutting between Batman going to take down a criminal. Flash is sent to deal with a with a hospital disaster. Cut a long story short, a whole bunch of babies start falling out the window in the uh, in the maternity wing. Um, and it, it would be horrifying for me. I'm a parent of two. But uh, but then you've got this kind of like John Williams esque score from uh, from uh, composer Benjamin Wolfish, who uh, is kind of channeling the sort of mischievous side of uh, John Williams. So everything's very uh, very light hearted, even though there's something really intense going on. It's like uh, 12, 12 or so babies falling out of a massive high rise window um, to their deaths, uh, and then Ezra Miller catches one in a microwave, which. Um, which is horrifying in and of itself. So while I was kind of enjoying myself during the opening sequence, I wasn't quite sure about it. <laughs> so then he links up with Batman. So I just want to mention uh, from the off here, spoilers abound. So if you have not seen the movie, uh, don't listen to this just yet. Listen to it after you've seen the movie. Spoilers. He links up with Batman and then there's a cameo from a very prominent Justice League member. Once again, um, the same thing that happened in Shazam, Gal Gadot turns up as if she had nothing else to do for a for a 30 second cameo um, and the uh, the Hans Zimmer theme kicks in with the and it's all very yay it's Wonder Woman and you know that maybe the first two or three times that that happened I would have been like wow but uh, but in this case I was just like oh it's Wonder Woman again okay fine and then there's a sort of semi humorous uh, scene where both Batman and the uh, the uh, the perp that he's caught um, are caught up in the lasso of truth. Uh, yeah, it it just it reminded me of lot. It reminded me a lot of the Justice League. Um, that is the tone that we're going with here. It's very colourful. It's very vibrant, but um, you know, very sort of jokey. The the complaint that I had with the Dark Knight Rises. Uh, the finale of the Dark Knight Rises specifically was that it takes place in broad daylight, and Batman 
and his costume should not be seen in broad daylight. He should be coming out of the shadows. Um, and I think as soon as you show all of that, you kind of highlight the ridiculousness of a man in a batsuit. Especially since they're trying to keep everything very dark and and broody for all of these uh, for all these movies. But Batman here is in the is in broad daylight quite a lot. You got Ben Affleck's Batman right at the beginning, and then later on you got Keaton's Batman standing around in Siberia in broad daylight. Um, so it sort of highlights the weaknesses in the batsuit, whereas he's supposed to be a figure of fear. So I, I kind of wish that, uh, that filmmakers would stop doing that and sort of relegate him to the shadows. Um, then we have uh, a kind of a flashback where you see Barry Allen's uh, mother uh, getting killed off screen. It's never revealed who actually does it. And, her f- and his father um, gets accused because he went out to get a can of tomatoes. And uh, when he comes back, he uh, he finds her with the with the knife in her, and he's cradling her and whatever, and he's the only one there aside from Barry, who was upstairs. So Barry decides that he he figures out how to go back in time uh, by running really really fast. Hello, Superman the movie reference. It is forbidden for you to interfere with human history. And so he goes into he starts running really fast, and he finds himself in this kind of di- dimension of it's a big ball of wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff um it's uh it's called the speed force apparently and as you know i haven't really read very many flash um comics it's probably uh, covered in the flashpoint run uh but i i have not read that yet i will do um but so it's called the the flash force no no the speed force sorry <laughs> And uh, so he's here in this big in this big round. It looks like kind of uh, one of those auditoriums that uh, you know, like in 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 uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, where you've got Anthony Hopkins um, in a uh, in a in a sort of university auditorium, and it's round, and there's uh, all of these seats all around it, and he's dissecting a cadaver or something like that. Um, it might be Bram Stoker's Dracula that I'm thinking of, or it might be Dracula Dead and Loving I do get those two confused quite a lot. So uh, that's basically what this Speed Force thing looks like, right? So so you've got where the seat where the stadium seating is is all of these different moments in time and he can then choose to go into whichever one of them he wants and he decides that he's going to change the fact that uh, the his dad went out to uh, to get a can of tomatoes by going to the supermarket when his mother was there and uh, and putting a can of tomatoes tomatoes sorry in <laughs> just like just embrace your britishness man uh, putting a can of tomatoes into the uh, shopping cart and therefore she wouldn't have to send her husband out her husband would be there and whoever went in to kill her would have been stopped so there you go that's his plan and then when he's going back to the present to see if it worked he gets pushed out of the speed force into uh into one of the timelines and he finds himself in uh in a, a moment in time where he's a teenager his his other self there is a teenager and his mom's still alive and everything's great and everything's hunky dory and uh and then there's this whole thing where he has to um where he has to kind of recreate the moment where he got his powers so he has to take teen flash to to the uh to a forensics lab and sort of recreate the moment where lightning struck uh, a shelf full of chemicals and he gets doused in the chemicals and hit by the lightning and therefore becomes flash so it's kind of a, a quasi origin story there as well because we haven't had that yet and it's kind of clever that they did that uh because i, I didn't know anything about how flash got his powers um 
but the there's one rub here and that is that Ezra Miller is playing two versions of Flash and his younger version is so fucking annoying the laugh that whatever it is is so annoying that I wanted to reach into the cinema screen and slap both of them because Flash present day Flash 29 year old Flash or whatever it is is annoying enough so now we have two of them and the uh, the issue is that instead of using some kind of um, in-camera technique like a split screen or over the shoulders or sort of trying to find ways to to place the camera so that you don't see the the stand-ins face or whatever so they've used um deep fake or facial replacement or whatever it is um i i don't think it's deep fake i think they've basically just replaced his face with cgi and uh you know that he's been he's had dots all over his face and it's been motion tracked and they've got him to make all sorts of faces um it's a it's a slightly older technique than what they would have used for uh, for Dial of De- for the opening of Dial of Destiny, which in the trailers looks kind of good, but by all accounts is kind of off-putting because in motion it doesn't look good, and you can you can see that uh, that Harrison Ford is a 75, 80 year old man, um, and that he moves in a certain way, which is exactly the same issue that I had with all of the cast of The Irishman. Um, so. So the issue is that they've used every time they they've wanted to put both Ezra Miller's in the shot together. So one of them, one at the stand-in, has a facial replacement. And the problem is the uh, the CGI looks very very wonky. First of all, so you can always tell in every single shot which one has been replaced, which one is the stand-in. But also they've decided to replace the face. They've put, they've used the stand-in for the the Ezra Miller that's talking or is like in the foreground in the front of the shot in the forefront who's talking and doing something rather than the one that's slightly out of focus in the background which I find to be very very strange because it, it draws more attention to it they still haven't got the lip curling right they still haven't got the uh, the sort of mouth movement right um, and uh, and his pores have, have been smoothed out and everything. There's there's a major complaint about the CGI in general throughout this entire movie, but uh, but that's one that I find to be uh, to be very egregious, and it's something that uh, that really bothered me throughout because you're supposed to be empathizing with uh, with both of these versions of uh, of Barry Allen, and it's just it looks like the facial replacement of Princess Leia at the end of Rogue One. It just doesn't work. And it looks like they've kind of gone back in time. Teen Barry Allen is very annoying. There's this whole exchange about Back to the Future. And it's this, uh, it's a one-joke gag where Eric Stoltz in this timeline played Marty McFly. And Eric Stoltz, for anybody that doesn't know, was originally cast as Marty McFly. And then about eight weeks into production, uh, they found that he wasn't uh, leaning into the comedy of it enough. Uh, so they decided to replace him with Michael J. Fox, who was the first choice in the in the first place. So there's a whole discussion about that, and then they start talking about all these other actors that were replaced uh, uh, in in this reality with other actors in different movies. Um, so it would have been fun if it would have been handled better, but it just kind of feels a little bit forced. And then they, while they're while they're talking about this, the short head Ezra Miller, as we'll call him, call him, uh, was searching for Batman because this is a reality where there are no metahumans. Superman doesn't exist, and um, and Wonder Woman doesn't exist, and Cyborg doesn't exist. Nobody's there. So uh, where is the Batman of this reality? Does a Batman exist? And they found out that, they, that there is one, and it's Michael Keaton. Um, so they go to Wayne Manor, which is the original Wayne Manor. It's the original sets. It's the original... Um, at the very least, they've uh, they've 
built it or they've done a matte painting of the outer uh, facade of it um and it it looks exactly like it does in the burton movies and they've, they've sort of tried to recreate that so they're really ramming the point home that this is the same batman as appears in the tim burton movies and he's got long hair and he's a whole hobo and you know <laughs> it's a whole thing and he sits there and explains in this big expository scene to the two flashes about what the multiverse is while he's making spaghetti. It's kind of a less um, successful version of the whole uh, sandwich making scene in Kill Bill Volume 2. Um, he's explaining to to the two flashes all about the multiverse. It's all about spaghetti and the intersecting timelines and blah, blah, blah. My question is, how does Michael Keaton's Batman know anything about the multiverse? Because there has been nothing overtly sci-fi in the previous two movies or particularly supernatural aside from Catwoman having nine lives and living after being thrown out of a window but it's not overt it's not like the terraforming machine in Man of Steel and you know all of that stuff the Codex Kelex all that all that stuff all that really really overtly sci-fi stuff that that goes on in uh, in Man of Steel and uh, Batman v Superman and, and Justice League it's sort of rooted in reality but it's kind of gothic so i don't understand how how michael keaton's batman would would know anything about the multiverse but it's exposition and we need it so let's chuck it in there i'm not a fan of uh, of michael keaton's new cowl it's kind of flat and rounded at the nose there's no underpart like sort of covering the septum it just doesn't look very good it kind of looks a little bit more like uh Ben Affleck's cowl. And I know I might be nitpicking on this, but if you're going to fan service, there are going to be people who are who want to see exactly the same thing that they saw back in 1989, 1992. So, yeah, I'm I'm not a fan of the uh, of the cowl. And to that end, the younger Flash makes himself a makeshift uh, Flash suit out of an old bat suit, and he cuts off the bat ears and oh my god, it looks ridiculous. I, I just couldn't get behind that. Like Throughout the entire finale, all I'm doing is looking at that. I'm going, oh my God, he looks so stupid. But that's, just, that's by the by. <laughs> that's got nothing to do with anything. So there's this whole extended thing where they're sort of hanging out in the Batcave and uh, Michael Keaton's Batman is just there and doesn't seem to mind and uh, you know then he decides that he's gonna you know put on the suit again and be Batman again after, I don't know, 30 odd years of not being Batman. He's like, yeah, I'm Batman. And then, you know, that whole that whole thing that was in the trailer that was very sort of prominent where he says, We wanna get nuts. Let's get nuts. And it's it's fan service, but it's just kind of forced. The whole thing's kind of forced. They don't really flesh out anything to do with where Michael Keaton's Batman has been all this time. Um, you know, Alfred's clearly died in the interim because he was very old, uh, even in nineteen eighty-nine. And um, they they don't really sort of flesh it out. So even though he's there, he's there to kind of wave and go, Hello, it's me, I'm back again. And that's all fine and good, but there's nothing behind it. There's no weight behind it. There's no emotional character building of any kind. He's just sort of there as a deus ex machina to help Ezra Miller um, to sort of get to the next stage. And in this case, it's 
because um, for whatever reason the lightning passed through older Flash into young Flash, so young Flash got the powers and uh, and old Flash got his powers taken away, so now they have to do this sort of quasi-Frankenstein thing where Ezra Miller's being strapped into this thing with chemicals all around him and they're kind of harnessing the lightning that just so happens to be striking. It just so happens to be a dark and stormy night, that particular night where they decide to do it. So, um, you know, you've got mad scientist Bruce Wayne standing there with a console that's been, and a lever, that's been designed exactly for that purpose <laughs> of creating life. It's alive! It's alive! There were these official stills that came out of Michael Keaton's Bruce Wayne kind of grimacing and this, like, lips pulled back in a grimace and his teeth gnashing together as if almost as if he's kind of enjoying it and he and he pulls that lever and the lightning comes down and uh, obviously it works and and uh, old flash gets his powers back i want to mention also that they go looking for superman that's the whole sequence in siberia that they, they go looking for superman and they don't find superman they actually find kara zor-el who is supergirl in this uh, in this continuity she's great i don't have any problems uh except for the fact that she's not emotionally fleshed out in any way she'll perform just like michael keaton's batman there's nothing behind it all of the emotion is channeled into ezra miller's flesh because his uh stakes are i have to save my mother well actually he's already saved his mother so there are no stakes there but um but general zod's coming in to invade earth because he's followed the uh, the two pods with kara and and uh, kal-el uh, to earth and now he wants to terraform earth to resurrect uh, krypton which is exactly what he was doing in man of steel um it's uh, you know it's it takes place during um the timeline of the, the time of the timeline of man of steel but there's no superman in this continuity so they have to get supergirl to face off against zod and so Supergirl's being held in this uh, Siberian lab. She's been zapped of her powers. I'm not even sure why. Maybe they're just experimenting on her or whatever, and Flash comes in to, to save her with Batman. They take her back to Wayne Manor, and then she decides uh, when she sees the devastation that uh, that Zod is leveling on on uh, on the city. So she decides to intervene, and then she finds out from Zod that uh, Kal-El never got to Earth. They intercepted his pod, and they killed him. And that is her one emotional moment. And she screams, and her, her laser eyes go off, and, you know... So she's got a uh, a motive to want to to want to battle Zod. So with all of this setup, there's really nothing behind it. Uh, you've got Michael Shannon, who doesn't really get to do very much. And I, I read that uh, that Shannon said that he was very disappointed in in what he had to do uh, in Flash. Uh, his his return was not what he thought it would be uh, because the script just doesn't give him anything to do. He's just uh, you know he's just coming to terraform Earth and and that's about it. So let's talk about Michael Keaton's Batman in these uh, massive battles. So there, there, there's a battle at the end of the movie in the desert, and they have to do it a few times. They have to you know Ezra Miller decides that he's you know oh no supergirl's dead we have to go back in time again we have to we have to redo it and, and all that kind of stuff um in the process michael keaton's batman uh flies in a few times with his with his batwing and uh the uh, the danny elfman music swells up and and it's it's great and everything and all of the fanboys are going to go woo but uh it doesn't again it doesn't mean anything and then michael keaton's batman just dies and that's the end of that and basically flash leaves the uh the battle to try and go back in time 
uh, because he realizes that in this continuity, Earth is going to get destroyed anyway, and uh, he just sort of leaves Supergirl to to you know die over and over <laughs> over and over again, and that's it. That's the end of that sort of that timeline in the multiverse. It's 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 done. Just sort of leaves it. Um, I mean, I don't know if I'm misremembering this. I saw it yesterday and I was really paying attention. I got a phone call in the middle of it. So I uh, I did look down at my phone once or twice to, to kind of, you know, to kind of cancel the call. But um, yeah, I, I'm not sure that I missed anything. I think that they just sort of left them to, left them all to die, basically. <laughs> um, and then you've got this moment where um, Teen Flash wants to keep going back in time over and over and over again. We can do it. We can get it right. We can get it right. We can get it right. And you find out that the, there's the, this thing, this sort of thing made of spikes that uh, that kicked Barry Allen out of the uh, the Speed Force at the beginning of the movie. And you find out that that was Teen Flash, um, who's just kind of been ruined by constantly going back in time. And he keeps getting stabbed with things and, and whatever. So then he's basically battling himself in a CGI fest of burly brawl smiths from The Matrix Reloaded. It's as if the filmmakers went back in time and grabbed the team that worked on The Matrix Reloaded and all of those kind of, uh, you know, the Superman Returns, all of those CGI-heavy movies that, uh, that couldn't quite create humans from CGI at that point and used legacy equipment and legacy software to, uh, to create everything that i'm about to talk about um the uh there's a sort of a, a multiversal thing where you see all of the various different multiverses i guess there's nicholas cage battling a giant spider which uh, in and of itself is a story it's the uh, um the the unmade superman lives uh, movie that was uh, supposed to be directed by tim burton that john peters the producer had insisted needed to have a giant spider in it and he got his way because the giant spider ended up in wild wild west not quite sure what was going on there but anyway we get a cgi rendering a really bad cgi rendering of nicholas cage then we get a really bad cgi rendering of christopher reeve and helen Slater as Superman and Supergirl um, really, really doesn't hold up. And, uh, and various other uh, characters as well. We've got Adam West. And uh, I, I just feel that the realization of the multiverse is much more solid and interesting visually in Multiverse of Madness, in Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness, than it is here. And I think in general, Marvel got that right more so than DC. I also think that in general, the multiverse is not a concept that has been properly fleshed out by DC. Um, in the same way that, uh, that the Snyderverse was kind of rushed, um, all of these characters that were going to appear in the Justice League appeared for 25 seconds in Batman v Superman on security camera footage. They were not even introduced in, uh, in their own solo movies, which Marvel took the time to do. And I've complained about this uh, in the past, but um, but yeah, it's it's not a concept that's been really uh, fleshed out. It doesn't have much precedent, only to just sort of, hey, let's do the Flashpoint storyline. To kind of wrap up, I think it's, uh, it's fun. Ezra Miller's performance is okay, if annoying at times. Um, and uh, there's some there's some good stuff in there, but it's uh, it's a two and a half three star movie. Uh, I think it's quite messy. Um, and also the, talking about the CGI and Andy Muschietti, who's the uh, who's the director of it uh, chapters one and two, had actually talked about this in the press about the CGI and how the CGI had uh, had been trippy on purpose but i don't think it's the problem is that it's trippy i think the problem is that it's just not very well done 
um, you you would be able to tell if it was on purpose, and it doesn't doesn't look like it was on purpose because all of the CGI stuntmen are very janky, to use size word. Um, so I, I don't buy it for a second. I think they they maybe ran out of money or ran out of time or they were trying to do too much, which is exactly what happened with uh, the Mummy Returns. By the way, a lot of that stuff reminded me of those uh, sort of early two thousands effects. Um, I think that in general, it's got the tone of a early 2000s superhero movie, pre-Batman Begins, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's a lot of fun. I think uh, you know if you just sort of let go, and if you, I mean, I I wanna I wanna say that this is a uh, a movie that exists in another timeline of the multiverse. You know, not that it takes place in the multiverse, which it does, but almost that the movie itself exists in a multiverse in another timeline. Um, it's it's in its own bubble. It doesn't connect to anything else particularly. And if you view it like that, like a side movie with a with a greatest hits kind of vibe, you'll enjoy it. But it is a big fucking gloopy mess. I did think that the resolution was uh, was good. I thought that Barry kind of exonerating his dad was very satisfying. And there was an emotional core to the movie, which I did connect to, and I did quite enjoy. But the main draw of the movie, which was Michael Keaton's Batman, was, to my mind, kind of, kind of pointless. Nice to see him and everything, but uh, quite frankly, unless it's a standalone Batman movie where they're directly addressing the fact that he's been away for a long time, um, and he's coming back to uh, to sort of um, for one last ride kind of thing, no, Logan style. Then that that would have been great. But I think in this particular case, they just sort of shoehorned him in there. I want to say that Christopher Nolan did something wildly different with Batman Begins and uh, The Dark Knight. And The Dark Knight Rises uh, is the uh, is the sort of closing of that, whether you like it or not. Um, like even though I don't like the uh, the daylight uh, sequences and Batman in sort of being his costume being bathed in broad daylight. I do appreciate a lot of The Dark Knight Rises. There are issues with it, but there are issues with all three of those movies. Um, and I would just quite happily sit there and enjoy rather than pick them apart. But anyway, I digress. Nolan tried to do something different. Zack Snyder tried to do something different. And I feel like the rest of these movies, like Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman 84, uh, Aquaman, Flash, they're just trying to be light and fluffy uh, in a sort of MCU kind of way. There's nothing interesting or radical about them they're extremely mainstream they're not doing anything that uh, that's kind of surprising for example if you look at guardians of the galaxy that was radical there's so much stuff in all three of those movies that are like whoa okay he's trying to do something different casino royale was exactly that for james bond uh, ghostbusters afterlife had elements of that it wasn't set in new york it was uh, a very much wrapped in a coming of age story it could have been licorice pizza but it had ghosts and ghost busting in it while it did kind of jump the terror dog uh, towards the end of that, towards the end of that movie with the final sequence which i've actually come to enjoy uh, in subsequent viewings um it still tried to do something very very different and i want to see something that's going to surprise me in that uh, in that respect this was a bog standard uh, superhero movie and it didn't do anything particularly unique or fun or interesting with it beyond sort of being it you know sort of it is what it is if you watch the trailer you've got it Okay, it, it is it is that. 
I didn't have anything riding on it. I wasn't expecting anything from Michael Keaton coming back as Batman. I wasn't expecting the the second coming of Christ or anything like that. I quite frankly can go back and watch the two Tim Burton movies and enjoy the shit out of them and nothing's changed. Um, you know, I'm still divorcing uh, this movie from those movies. I'm not thinking when I'm watching Michael Keaton in uh, Batman 89, I'm not thinking, oh, he's going to end up with uh, long gray hair and a beard and a hobo spouting shit about the multiverse in, uh, in 2023. Um, so anyway, that's basically it that's all i wanted to say um it is a fun movie it is a fun afternoon out in my case but a night out probably in your case i'm a freelancer so i i get to do that <laughs> if you like the snyderverse and you like uh, the the justice league then uh, then you'll like this the cgi was very distracting and constant all the way through and normally Sai said to me yesterday if you're gonna if you're gonna watch a movie and it's really really great and there's some wonky cgi in there it shouldn't matter and i said well it's all throughout and the movie isn't on that level where it can transcend that and i said to him also like if you look at avengers endgame uh, there's some janky cgi there's a few janky shots here and there but the rest of it is so damn good that uh, that it didn't really bother me at all and that's not the case here and look i did enjoy the jokiness of this movie there's one great gag at the end and again spoilers here if you haven't seen it go put your fingers in your ears and go ah la 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 but um when barry allen gets back to the present um he uh he encounters bruce wayne driving up in in the same sort of porsche that uh, that he was in at the beginning of the movie when it was ben affleck and because he's sort of proverbially stepped on a butterfly in uh, in peking or something like that um and completely uh you know ruined the uh the the timeline so now it's not ben affleck anymore it was george clooney and that cracked me the fuck up i was in the cinema with a bunch of prepubescent kids obviously school is out already and like three other guys that looked exactly like me like dads who just wanted some me time and skived off work for an afternoon and i went at the top of my voice and that was a that was a well-kept secret i didn't know about that i've got a surprise for all of you i've just been ranting uh, in this episode for the past 35 minutes but look who's just walked in the door oh me uh, hello yes. hello it's me anyway he's seen some of it now so uh, we're going to talk about it <laughs> so here we go a little bit of a bonus on top of the bonus bonus drop page warbucks continue <laughs> The previous episode, I don't know if uh, if you heard it, dear listener, but uh, I just did an episode. Uh, I called it a bonus because I was by me lonesome. My uh, my partner in pod was not wasn't with me. willing to shell out the cash <laughs> for that place. <laughs> wasn't, of shite. wasn't willing to shell out the cash. Um, so I, I I did an episode for the Flash, and I released it today. And I I think I may have bummed out one of our listeners, uh, Wei Lam Kwa. Um, I apologize to some, that. Can we get some? Uh, <laughs> Sort of very sad string music, okay. know, just to illustrate the Done. death of your uh, of your friendship. <laughs> well, I didn't. I didn't. Why, st- you, why do you think you've upset him? I don't understand. Well, I, I don't think I upset him necessarily, but uh, but what some, are we talking about what what he said was that it was a uh, it was a bit of a it was a bit difficult to to sit and listen to a movie that he really enjoyed being trashed by by me uh, for, for thirty five minutes. Uh, but I didn't. To to be fair to to myself, I didn't set out to trash it i actually quite enjoyed myself uh during but then isn't it sort of like a fridge logic sort of thing where you it the, is when definitely you walk that. away from it you kind of go huh 
Yeah, it, it was definitely when you that. Get to the fridge. Yeah, uh, and and so I yeah, it, it all just came pouring out just like that, <laughs> so, right down to Batman, the nose of Batman's cowl. <laughs> I read this really interesting thing about the sort of Henry Cavill Snyderverse movies. Right. And they said, first of all, the article begins with the Flash is a kind of poor send off for Henry Cavill's, you know, kickoff in 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 that sort of universe and well henry cavill is uh he wasn't even in it and i was i was kind of hoping he would be so there there were plans for that yeah there Um, there were certain people they shot it as well didn't they maybe maybe there were certain people that i wasn't expecting who did turn up so there were there were certain things that were very well kept secrets that that actually surprised me while i was watching it so so what i read was and i really thought this was a very good way of summarizing this whole series each subsequent movie after Man of Steel was a response or a reactionary movie to the movie that came before it. So Batman right. v Superman was a reaction to Man of Steel that, you know, uh, there was all this devastation in that in that final fight and it wasn't sort of, you know, dealt with and it, it just seemed to be fine after that. And, and you, know, the, the, you know, that's not really how Superman operates and that he killed Zod and, you know, that he doesn't have the sort of thing. And so that movie, you know, tried to address that and to correct that and give him like a more, I guess, heroic uh, Jesus-y persona, right? Right. And then the Justice League, the the Justice League. Justice League, yeah. The Justice League. Yeah. um, Is a response to that being too dark, Right, so they have like the the lighter tone and the weirdo color palette, and then the Snyderverse, sorry, the Snyder cut is a response to the complaints about that movie. Yeah, so then they drained all the color Everything. out of that, and it's almost like the sort of climax, climax, the climax, the climax. of the Flash. Yeah, um, which I I've seen a bit of, and also you know I've I How read have about you done it. That? It's just been released in cinemas, say an illegal bootleg. Hold on, there's somebody knocking at the door. I think it's the FBI. Don't we have to put our bums in the air? Isn't that what we did last time? <laughs> so the, the finale, by the way, the more I think about it, it's just a big jumble. It's a big soupy mess but of the CGI. Thing, the thing there that illustrates this point is the fact that it's ne- the, the climax with Zod and everything is taking place in a desert kind of area. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like there wasn't a better compromise for how they're going to, you know, make good on what was wrong with Man of Steel. It's either destroying everything in the city and having a massive fight where everything goes down or desert with nothing in it. And it's like, they just didn't get what they were supposed to do with these characters and they didn't understand them. And so they were just reacting to the crowds. Right. Um, Spoilers, by the way, the the thing that really bothered me about that finale, I don't know if you've seen... Is that basically they they kind of Chris. the 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 two the two Barrys mm. kind of come to the conclusion that this world is going to die anyway in every timeline, so we'll just leave them to just die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they just bugger off back to the Speed Force. <laughs> 
<laughs> and like, it's just basically, it's just very kind of weak. It's just that he's kind of gotten to the uh, to the realization that maybe changing the past isn't all it's cracked up you to be. You mean the thing that everybody has been fucking saying the entire exactly, movie. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And the stakes basically are that Zod is coming to, uh, to wreak havoc like he did in Man of Steel and there's no Superman to stop him. But at the same time, the that is kind of a false set of stakes yeah set of steak knives yeah. <laughs> because yeah because as i said they they just basically leave that world to die and just go back and sort of uh, rejig the timeline and the the real stakes of the movie are barry's mum getting killed um and he he kind of sorts that out right at the beginning of the movie anyway yeah so that's done sorted put a nice bow on that and then at the end of the movie he kind of reverts that so I really What's felt the like the, the Flash <laughs> TV the Flash series, point? the CW series, did yes. a really good job in that first season of dealing with the um, Henry Allen, um, you know, in jail and the whole his mum's death and him trying to solve that. Like, that's a back sort of plot that he's dealing with the whole time. Right. They really get across some good emotion there. I do think that Ezra Miller does have some very good... Uh, emotional beats at he the does. beginning of the movie. Does, sure. I, yeah. I've also read that at the end as well. Yeah. Um, but as I said in my review, I did connect with that and I did, I did enjoy that aspect of it and I really felt for the character. It's just a shame that he was so insufferable for the rest of the movie. These movies, yeah. at the end of the day, yeah. are about flawed people who right. have special abilities. Right. That's what makes them different. But mm-hmm. what makes them special is that they are still people. Mm-hmm. When you look at a good Spider-Man story... The best Spider-Man stories involve Peter Parker and Spider-Man's worlds colliding mm-hmm. and how they affect each other. Right. Those are the best ones. And the Tom Holland movies get that. Mm-hmm. And that's why they're so successful. Yes. And it's understanding what the underlying point is of one of these characters. Whether it's Batman's guilt driving everything right. that he does. Mm-hmm. And is he going to grow from it? Is he going to... Is he gonna maybe turn a corner? Not really. Even when he looks like he is, right? Right. Um, he's actually especially like I, I was reading uh, Hush. Yeah, that is mm-hmm. that's very much a uh, a sort of a, it encapsulates exactly yeah. what we're talking about. Exactly. Because in Hush, uh, for those of you who haven't read it or seen the uh, the DC animated movie, the story is based around the relationship between Bruce and Selina Kyle, aka yeah. Catwoman. And he almost runs away with her and gives up his superhero life to be with her. But, but he can't. But he can't do that. And uh, and I thought that was very. Uh, it's, a, it's very a very cool way to uh, to present the relationship between Batman and Catwoman that I hadn't seen before. And it was uh, yeah. That that's a and great. It, and, and that's a great really, book. What's really funny about it is that uh, not funny. Sorry. What's really really strong about that particular story right. is okay. So we're seeing this very human in love part of Bruce, which we we do see you know, occasionally, but it's sort of contrasted with this really stark, um, you know, look into his psyche Yeah. as, you know, the, the whole scene with the Joker where he's like, I don't know if you're there yet, but like, you've finished it. So, so he's like beating the Joker to death because yes. he walks into a scene where it looks like the Joker has killed his friend, Thomas Elliot. Right. And, you know, he he just goes crazy on him. So it's it's always fun when a Batman story looks at the um, the reflection of Batman in his villains and what they bring out in him, mm-hmm. and that whole thing about. And I always say this when talking about Batman stories, and you can even hear it in the Batman episodes that we did right. about the movies, where it's about 
you know, that they're always saying in Arkham that they're saving a cell for him. Right. Um, because he belongs there. Right. And that is, to me, why a good Batman story is so compelling. Because the killing joke. The killing well, joke yeah. is exactly. It's yeah. exactly that. Exactly. The fact is that no matter how hard he tries, he will never he will never be a family man. He yeah. will never get it together with somebody and there and is no give happy ending exactly. to his story. Exactly. Um, and the, the, all that stuff is very, very deep, which g- going back to the flash, the treatment of Michael Keaton's Batman, who is yeah. tortured in the, in the, uh, in the Burton movies and, uh, and, and weird and socially awkward, um, for some inexplicable reason, they made him have like a really long beard and hair. Yeah, and they he's they like they weirdo. sort of he's a sort of like rich man hobo for some reason. But then, but then doesn't but he show up with like a you know he's all suddenly looking like clean Michael shaven? Keaton. Yeah. the 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 thing is that 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 whole Gandalf look mm. for a uh, for a washed up superhero is incredibly cliched. I've seen it so many times. Yes, but it, it's and then not they, a very good look. Like um, in this particular case, it doesn't look very convincing either. No, it's such a shame. Because because they have the best reference possible yeah. for what an older Bruce Wayne, who is sort of not Batman anymore and is old, yeah. needs to look like. Right. Batman Beyond. Yeah. He is clean shaven. He is old. He has a walking stick. Mm-hmm. And he is a grumpy ass fuck. <laughs> right? And it's like that, that I could believe of, you know, sort of a version of of Michael Keaton's Batman but on that topic the just why? No, but, that, but that's what why I'm saying that's, that's, that's what I that's what I said it, I know you said they sh- if they would have in the early 2000s yeah made like a Michael Keaton return yes it would have been a lot better yeah but they, they couldn't have no, done but that because they were in the said, middle of the Nolan trilogy but that's what I said about in the the the, uh, the general treatment of Michael Keaton in this movie is that he's literally just there so that they can wheel him out and have the audience go ah. right you know it's like Kramer just stepped in the room yeah like hey look it's Michael Keaton hey shout, look shout it's out Michael to, uh, Keaton he's Batman Pogo, who, uh, who uh, recently uh, jumped through a door and scared his, his wife uh, doing that very nice, very nice. Mm. Um, so, just in general, I uh, yeah, the the uh, the the treatment of that character was not uh, was not particularly successful. Do you know what I was thinking when when you know he sort of was clean shaven and talking to them as Bruce Wayne? Yeah, right in the Batcave. I was thinking to myself, do you know what I would have liked? I would have just liked it if they would have made a sort of Tim Burton esque return for Michael Keaton. Right, right. They didn't need to bring on Tim Burton. They could have just tried to. In that, you know, same vein. And just as a one-off. Like, Joker is a one-off. Right. right? I'd have watched that. Because I do think that Michael Keaton is still really, really engaging. Yeah. As I, I just think that, you know, he knew what his role was. And it's what you've said. It's the audience baiting. It's, you know, yeah. you want to get nuts. Let's get nuts. Yeah. You know. Um, and and I, I, I just hate it. I can't stand it. And I can't stand the... <laughs> What I sent you about Christopher Reeve about you yeah. know uh, the sequelitis thing, yeah, uh, which you know during the indie episode we can go into and we can sort of mm-hmm. you know play that yeah. clip maybe or some of it, but it's like such a it's such a true statement that all they're doing is constantly trying to line the pockets and the coffers as he says, mm-hmm. or I think he says that, um, and reaching their hands into the till, mm-hmm. and and it's like. Where's the care for these characters? Because when you see a movie that has been made with care and consideration and character plotting and 
you know, even if it's not very good with the CGI, yeah, you don't feel like it was done just for the money. Well, that's what I'm saying. There, are, I'm sure there are, there are other movies that I can't really pick off the top of my head right now, but um, there are other movies that have wonky CGI mm-hmm. that are just great movies that it just doesn't it just doesn't bother me. This was kind of slapping me around the face literally every two three yeah. minutes with something that looked awful. Um, and I and I know that there's been uh, there's been issues in the in the uh, special effects world like since COVID a lot of effects houses have closed and there's a lot of a uh, lot of effects artists Crunch. who are overworked mm-hmm. and uh, and and whatnot. What the solution to that probably would have been in this case would be to try and bring down the number of effect shots that are, yeah. that are in the movie, uh, but also not try and you know, bring so many people back from the dead. Yeah. And, and you know, that stuff just, I, and, and I meant what I said and I, and I stand by it. It really does look like they, they went back to, you know, the early 2000s and, and sort of use the same tech that they were using at the time for the Burly Ball and Matrix but, Reloaded. Again, like it just the, looks really, really bad. The Flash, right? Yeah. His speed force in the TV show mm-hmm. is admittedly not as good as you would get like in a proper like Marvel movie or something, right. but you know, or, or I mean one of the, the better ones like Endgame, right? Mm-hmm. But it still works really well and their CGI and their special effects are, you know, they're wonky in some episodes. You can tell that they put more effort in this episode, right. you know, cause there's like a big gorilla or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's like, why, why is it that you can't just pare it down just mm-hmm. a little bit? Because you don't need to be Doctor Strange. There is right. already a Doctor Strange. We don't need all this wonky like that, stretching. That's, and that's obviously what they were trying to do. Yeah. I, I thought, um, seeing some of the trailers and seeing some of the hype around it, that I thought that maybe they'd they'd pulled it off. Mm. But uh, it doesn't. It doesn't quite get there. No. It doesn't quite get there. Uh, anyway, so must move on. Must, must move, move on. on. Uh, thank you for joining us uh, for this for little uh, little extra bit on the end of the bonus. 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 And. We thank you, and don't forget to tip your waiter, a tress, or... Um, or you could or, just like and subscribe. Yeah, that one. Leave a review, leave Those a rating. Things. How Let about us that? know that you liked it, and yep. that you, you were there for it. Because your silence is insulting, quite frankly. <laughs> and I'd, I'd like to have a word with you afterwards. You and me. Mano mm-hmm. a mano. Or a womano. Or a, you know, any other thing in Cyrano. A Cyrano. Yeah. Or a Cyrano de Bergerac. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Bergerac. In Jersey. John Nettles. That's how, that's how it went. Okay. Yes. You know what we should yes. do? That's how we're playing us out. Oh. Thank you very much bow, and enjoy bow, the... Bow, 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 bow. <laughs> 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 you see his, you see his, see his eyes as well. His little eyes <laughs> the, and, and he's all like, oh, you know, oh, I'm a Clint Eastwood, but my name is John Nettles. <laughs> and there's been a murder in Midsummer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bye. What's our seat number? Bonus.